0: you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it for then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success have i not commanded you be strong and courageous do not be frightened and do not be dismayed for the lord your god is with you wherever you go And to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, Remember the word that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God is providing you a place of rest and will give you this land. Your wives, your little ones, and your livestock shall remain in the land that Moses gave you beyond the Jordan. But all the men of valor among you shall pass over armed before your brothers and shall help them until the Lord gives rest to your brothers. As he has to you. And they also take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession and shall possess it, the land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan toward the sunrise. And they answered Joshua. Let's pray together, shall we? Let's, let's sing together. Do you know, we sang I Need Thee Every Hour. That's a beautiful song. Let's sing it. There's a tool for that in a changing world. When we bought our house in Owasso, I only owned one saw. It was the old-timey kind of saw with a wooden handle and a long metal blade and jagged serrated edges on the side. It was a hand saw. And little did I know that there are many other kinds of saws. Table saws, band saws, saws, jigsaws, chainsaws, even pull saws. A saw, which is just one of many thousands of kinds of tools, are there to help you. They are to give you strength. They are to be used to get things done. Oh, there's a tool for that. Archimedes said, Give me a lever long enough and a fulcrum on which to place it, and I shall move the world. This week I listened to an old, old preacher who is in retirement, who is a preacher in Alabama for many, many years, tell me he didn't used to have to listen. He didn't used to have to push his people to come to corporate worship on Sunday. He didn't have to wonder about evangelism as much because all the neighbors around his church were doing it. He didn't have to wonder if people would be in church on Sundays. You know why? Because he knew that every person's boss would ask them on Monday if they were at church on Sunday. He ministered in a time when there were blue laws. He ministered in a time when the Ten Commandments were in the schools. He ministered in a time when under God was in the Pledge of Allegiance. He ministered in a time, friends, that sociologists and theologians call Christendom, which existed for 1,700 years and is no more. Even in a very conservative culture like we live in right now, the religiously unaffiliated, self-professing unaffiliated is skyrocketing. And many people are looking around the world today And they are wondering, what in the world am I to do? Because the church never prepared me for that. So they can't compete with soccer. They can't compete with Starbucks on Sunday morning. And so they, once professing Christians, throw in the towel and they leave the church. There's a tool for that in our changing world. In Joshua chapter one, we read about Joshua and all of Israel, millions of people on the Eastern side of the Jordan River. Hearing God give them one central and key promise that is the promise of the whole of the Bible. We talked about this two weeks ago. The promise is, I am the Lord your God I will be with you. That is the central and key promise of all of the Bible. And here in Joshua 1, as they stand before this raging river, God says to Joshua, just like he said to Moses, I am with you. And rather than just say, okay, well, God is with me. Great. What should I do now? Moses is dead. He was the incomparable Moses. He was the servant of the Lord, a title only given one other time to the Lord Jesus himself. The incomparable Moses is dead. And so what does Israel do? The Lord says, I'm with you. Do they weep over Moses' death? Well, they are undoubtedly sad. Do they wait for the Lord? No, the Lord says, I am with you. Therefore, go over the river and take the land that I have called you to take. And so several weeks ago, we talked about how the key promise of the Bible is that God promises you his presence. His unfailing promise is his presence with his people. And then last week, you talked about how God doesn't just give you a promise, but he gives you an imperative in light of that promise. He commands you, therefore, to go take the land, which as we talked about, the land is the land that he is calling you to move forward in obedience right now today. It is more than just, the physical land that Israel was talking about. It is not the promise of material or physical prosperity. It is the promise that he will be with you, that he will be your God. He goes with you wherever you go. So do what he asks you to do. And so today in Joshua chapter one, we're going to stay in it one more week. Because when God tells you, what to do in light of what he's done, he gives you tools for doing it. There's a tool to strengthen you on your journey. And we're gonna look at that together this morning. Knowing that the Lord fights for us, that he's in battle with us, he commands us to then go over the Jordan River, as it were, to take the land that he has called us to obey in his word. How does he strengthen us to do that? There are tools for that. There are three that Joshua gives us. The Lord gives us through Joshua. I'm going to tell you what they are and then we're going to talk about them together. Tool number one is God's word. Tool number two, God's people. And tool number three, God's person. Tool number one, God's word. Remember what is before us. All of Israel, a tent city as far as the eye can see, Is standing before this river. It was a large river, as I'll speak of in a minute. It wasn't just an idle stream. And they could not cross it without the Lord's help. And Moses, the incomparable great Moses, who has led his people through the wilderness out of bondage of the world's greatest power at the time, has died. And here they have this man named Joshua, who is just a servant, he's an assistant. He is the son of none. Whoever none is, that's to lead God's people. And God wants him to remember something very, very important. That when there's a passing of a great leader or even when there's a passing of a great era like we have enjoyed with Christendom, which was the privileged central position of all of Western culture for 1,700 years, when no longer do we have a consensus of what morality looks like in America friends we don't even have a consensus of what morality looks like within the church in America Moses is reminded by the Lord when there's a transition from one era to the next you know what God is still faithful to his promise and his presence is with his people and he expects you to use the tools that he's given you the first tool is God's word we read about it in verse seven and eight. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to the law. Lower your eyes to your bulletin and look at the text. According to all the law, verse seven, that Moses, my servant, commanded you, do not turn to it from it to the right or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate, literally in Hebrew. You shall mutter it day and night so that you may be careful to do all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Arguably that verse, seven and eight, is one of the most quoted verses of all of the Old Testament, isn't it? And we see that God calls us to use his word. But what many, many people do with that is they take that promise, which was given to Joshua at a specific point in history, And we say, if I just use the Bible, however I choose, it says I will have good success. And so we use the Bible like a talisman to just give us the success we would always want, even if we weren't Christians. We use the Bible much like we would use any other how-to manual. Like I would use my car manual. I'm having a rough day. How do I get through the day? but the Lord doesn't intend for the Bible to be used merely in that way. The Lord gives Moses his word, which for us, we can extrapolate that to mean all of scripture, Old Testament and new. But for Moses, what was his Torah, his law? It was merely the first five books of Moses in the Old Testament. That's all he had. And he was to chew on it. He was to mutter it. He was to think about it day and night. Why? Why? Because God said, if you understand what I'm doing in the world and how I am reshaping you and reforming you into my image, then you will begin to have success. Because sometimes your plans are not my plans. And I never ask your opinion, God says to us. Thank goodness he doesn't. And God says to Joshua, Joshua, meditate on my word and you will have good success wherever you go. But Joshua, success means you do what I've commanded you to do. It does not mean that you will get the promotion at work. It does not necessarily mean that your kids will grow up and they will be the perfect image of what you imagine your children to be. Your families will be messy. That does not mean that one promise of God's has failed you. Do you know that? The Bible does not promise you perfect families. It promises you that God is with you. And you know what? That is what you need. Because you don't believe it. You end up using the word as a way to read it to get God to love you more. As if an infinite ocean could be more infinite. He loves you because he loves you and he's yours. And therefore we are to meditate on his word in order to know what he has called us to do and to be. I don't meditate on God's word for some personal gain or goal that I want, however good that goal or personal gain might be. I read and meditate because the presence of the Lord gives me the desire to walk wisely in my situation and to do what the Lord wants. To be successful in this context means to have wisdom for taking action in a particular situation of danger in your respective life. Prosperous just means to advance across something, which for Moses was quite literal. He had to advance across a raging river. This command is given specifically to Joshua as the leader of God's people. So can we assume that it also is given to us? It was first given to Joshua and secondarily it was given to all of Israel and only in a third sense is it given to us. But of course you can assume it's given to you too. Remember what Psalm 1 says. We looked at it over the summer, two summers ago actually. Psalm 1 says what? That the man who meditates on my word is like a tree that's planted by streams of water. He yields his fruit in season and his leaves never wither. Whatever he does, what? Advances across something, prospers, has great success. There is no escape, friends, from obeying what God calls you to do in his word. He has given you a tool. Some of you are using the old wooden-handled handsaw that I had when I first moved and bought my first house. And God has given you a power tool. He's given you his word. And some of you, I listen, as your pastor, I know your stories. We swap stories all the time. And I know your struggles. And the elders in this church know about mine. And isn't it amazing that Lord, the Lord says to us, you know what I've given you to strengthen you in the journey? I've given you my word. And I don't give you my word to give you a guilt trip so that on the days you don't read it, you feel bad about yourself. That's not it at all. I give you my word because it's a treasure and it's a resource. Meditate on it. It is a tool for us amidst a changing environment. How do you draw strength from the Lord's presence? First, you use his word. So let's use it, shall we? Let's use it. Let's take a passage in the New Testament, like Hebrews chapter 13, that says, Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. And then what promise does he tack in onto the end of that? For God said, What? Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. He pulls this Old Testament promise. Into your current situation to say the chief promise that you and I tend to not believe is that Jesus is with you. And He loves you. God calls His people to avail themselves to the tool of His Word. Here in Joshua chapter one, Joshua, be strong and courageous. How? Meditate on my law day and night. Not a bad recommendation. Jesus calls us to walk forward in obedience, not because by our obedience, we in any way, in any way, earn, gain our salvation, nor do we in any way accrue more love from Jesus. Our merit is solely the merit of Jesus himself. And when the father looks at you, he sees the spotless, blameless righteousness of his son, Jesus. He cannot love you anymore. And therefore, out of that love, it should make us long to read his love letter and to do what it says. He gives us the tool amidst a changing world. He gives us his word. Secondly, he gives us God's people. Now, there is a lot of space in Joshua chapter one, taking up, talking about the two and a half tribes and the seven and a half tribes. The Reubenites, the Gadites and the half tribe of Manasseh back in Numbers were given an allotment of land on the Eastern side of the Jordan River where all of Israel now stands. The Eastern side of the Jordan had very high plateaus. It was wonderful for grazing. It was a fantastic area for ranching. So they took the land, the Reubenites, the Gadites and half of the tribe of Manasseh took land on the Eastern side of the Jordan. And you can imagine, couldn't you? that within the camp of Israel, they're settling down, they're building permanent homes. You can imagine that there might be a seed of bitterness in the heart of the other seven and a half tribes to know that these two and a half tribes have already gotten their land. And we still have to go across the river. Like we have to go through the city. We have to conquer the Canaanites. They already have their land. They're done. And the Lord knew that the bitterness might erupt in Israel. And so he said, back in Numbers 32, he said, lest you have another Kadesh Barnea, another rebellion amongst God's people. The two and a half tribes of Israel, stay with me. I know I'm getting into Bible speak here, but listen to me. The two and a half tribes of Israel, the Reubenites, Gadites, and the half tribe of Manasseh promised their brothers that they would go over the river and fight with them that they would not just sit and take what was theirs, which was theirs, but they said, we will go over with you. And it's remarkable that these guys fought for their brothers and they armed themselves and 40,000 men strong, Israel goes over and they take first the city of Jericho as we're going to learn about down the line as we go through Joshua. What's interesting about this whole idea is is that it's hard for me as a modern American to grasp this, honestly. And it's hard for you too to grasp it because we tend to think about our spirituality in very individualistic ways. But the point that God is trying to make with Joshua is that the unity of God's people is essential to their fidelity to his commands. Listen, you don't have to feel all warm and fuzzy about one another. You don't have to have best friends on every row in our church. That's okay. You're not going to. We're a large group of people and growing. It's going to the dynamic relationship will change. But you have to be unified. We have to be unified together. And so therefore if there's someone in the church that you're gossiping about or there's someone in the church where you are like doing gymnastics around the gym to avoid, listen, that affects me. As a Christian, That affects you as a Christian. You know, any of you have your yards treated? You don't have to raise your hand if you don't want to, but like some people have their yards treated, right? And you know, when you live in Oklahoma, that most of our yards are Bermuda grass. And you also know for those people who care meticulously for their yard, that Bermuda grass is called a rhizoid grass. Yes, thank you. Texas A&M, Turf grass management. It did help me get a great education. It's a rhizoid grass. And rhizoids mean that every blade of grass in that yard is actually connected to every other blade of grass. Did you know that? Deep underground, they're connected by rhizoids. So if you get brown spot, you get a disease in one corner of your yard, you have to treat it because you know by next season, it'll be all over the yard. It's the same way in the church. We are connected by rhizoids. We are connected together by the blood of Jesus. And therefore we fight for each other. We go to arms together for each other against our common enemy of sin and death. And if I could be so blunt as to say it this way, my sanctification, my growth in holiness depends upon you. Now I have to be careful how I say that. But my growth in the Christian life depends a great measure upon your encouragement to me to do that even as your pastor how much more so between us as friends as members together so shape up (laughs) we're connected together another way to see this is in early October if you watch NCAA football and every year in October one or two guys gets the question in early October It's way too early to talk about the Heisman Trophy in early October, way too early. But there are three or four names that the media start putting forth as the Heisman Trophy winners. And those guys know that there's a lot of football to be played. And I love listening to press conferences with players in early October because they always get the question. So your name has appeared on this national awards list. What do you think about that? I love the way they answer it. I'm sorry, I'm not even thinking about that. There's a lot of football to be played and I just want our team to win. Mm. Friends, that's the gospel together. I care about you individually and you care about me individually and we care about each other. And in the passing, fading era of Christendom, there's a lot of people who do not know why they come to church on Sunday. But your presence in worship on Sunday is incredibly important. Not because it earns you merit. We are Protestant Christians. But because it encourages your brothers and sisters who need to see your face. Because you present to us an aspect of God's grace that we can only see through you and your story. That's why it's so important for you to be here. That's why physical presence together is important. That's why when you're tempted to stay home on Sunday morning, please don't. Don't do it for me. Do it for you. Do it for each other. Because the body of Christ is together. The two and a half tribes could have stayed on the east side of the Jordan River. But they said, we will go over. And they even go so far as to say, and they answered Joshua, all that you have commanded us, verse 16, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go just as we obeyed Moses, so we will obey you. Only what? Only be strong and courageous. That is why we were told to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep and to bear one another's burdens and to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. I work out my salvation with you and you work out my salvation with me because we grow to understand Jesus's love for us better together because we are made to be a, a community. And so would you pray for me? And would you pray for your elders? Because it is our job, our calling to help shepherd the sheep the best we can. And we ourselves are sheep under the authority of shepherds. And we need the same accountability as you do. But, oh, friends, let's do it together. Struggle is a good thing. Let's talk about the struggles together. Victory comes in the Christian life through struggle because repentance is the way up, not perfection. There's only one person who's ever been perfect, and that is Jesus. And he empowers us by his Holy Spirit to walk in holiness together, set apart for his kingdom purposes. There is a tool for the changing world. How do we know the presence among us to strengthen us? His presence comes through the pronouncement of His word, His presence comes through His people, the unity of believers. And thirdly and finally, His presence comes through His person, the person of His choosing. The person in Joshua chapter one that God chooses to lead is Joshua. And notice that Joshua chapter one is written to whom? Verse one, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to whom? To Joshua. Joshua one is written to God's person. Secondarily to Israel, and in a tertiary or third way is written to us. And God called this person, Joshua, to lead his people. And as Joshua unfolds, you see the unfolding instructions of God to a man, to a leader, to lead his people across the great river to take the land. Joshua, by the time that Moses takes him up on the mountain with him at Mount Sinai, he was 40 years old. Joshua had already become a great, mighty, and military leader. Joshua had had great success in the past but here he is way in over his head but God appoints Joshua in his weakness why does he spend the first chapter of Joshua like giving him a pep talk because Joshua was trembling in his boots and God had to remind him to be strong and courageous and before Joshua set this mighty river which was not just an idle stream it was not Bird Creek it was a torrent of a river that traveled down into the Dead Sea, 1,385 feet, which at its deepest point in the gully in the middle was 100 feet deep. There was no way they could cross this river without the Lord's help. And God appointed a person. And some of you know that the name Joshua in the Old Testament is the name Jesus in the New. God saves. And God saves you from the river, which if you enter it wrongly, you will be swept away to death. And friends, God saves you from the river of your sin, the raging river of your treachery, the raging tumult of the war that you are waging against God that each one of you have. God saves you by a man. And Joshua is a preview and a type of the man ahead of his time that God saves you by one who is also appointed. God saves you in his son. And God spoke to his son even more plainly than he spoke to Joshua. And God appointed Jesus to be your savior. You, individually, as part of you, his covenant community. And only through God's Savior, his son, can he save you from instant peril and death. Listen, let me close and be really practical. When you are sluggish spiritually, when you are facing a challenge, when you are being lazy in your ways, as it were, or you are overwhelmed by something that is before you, when sin has a grip on you, when all you really want is the manna in the desert, all you really want is to go back in time to when Christendom ruled the land. When all you want is to wander around peacefully in the wilderness for a while, don't look for the presence of God in any other way but in that which the Lord provides. The unfailing promise of God's unlimited provision is in his presence with his people. And it comes to us in ways that the Lord specifically provides. His word, his people, the church, and his son. And number one, number three rather, must become number one. So take the sun and you will get across the raging river. Take the sun and you will be prosperous and successful in your ways. For without the sun, you will surely fail. Without the Lord Christ, you will surely be swept away. But with the sun, you will have courage because he is with you. Friends, you have tools that the Lord has specifically provided for you in a changing world. And he backs up his being with you, with his word, his people, and his son. And we will prosper, and we will get the land, and we will live in the land now and forever, together. Though my everlasting portion, more than a friend of life to me, all along my pilgrim journey, savior, Let me walk with thee. Amen. Father, we need you every hour. Most gracious Lord. There is no tender voice like yours that peace can afford. We need you. Oh, we need you. Every hour we need you. So bless us now and come to us. Thank you that your presence is with us in your word, through your people, and in your son. In whose name we pray. Amen.